Hey there, welcome to episode 150 of the Dealer Playbook Podcast. Can you believe it? 150 episodes of the podcast and going strong, all thanks to you, my loyal listener. Which tickles my curiosity. Where in the world are you listening to the Dealer Playbook from? Let me know by posting a message on the DPB Facebook page, and we're going to do a draw or something, give, a, give away some swag, just as a way to say thanks for listening. Now, before we jump into this episode, make sure you tap the subscribe button on whatever app you're listening to this right now. And while you're at it, go ahead and join me on Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Links are in the show notes. Okay, now for episode 150 of the DPB. Here we go. All right, so we're going to break from the traditional interview style uh, for episode 150, but I thought it would be nice to just spend a few minutes with you to share some of my thoughts, my mental meanderings about a topic we hear a lot of. You know, it's funny, uh, as humans, all of us interconnected by the automotive industry, how we cling to different topics and talk about them until they've been absolutely exhausted. Only then can those topics be replaced by the next buzz, right? That's how it works. I remember when SEO was the only thing we could talk about. Conference after conference, workshop after workshop. It was all about SEO. Then we moved on to big data or big data. Then content and now, of course, AI and, wait for it, disruption. Ooh, ah, disruption. That big old nasty word that frightens because it often is used in the context of the impending doom of car dealers and self-driving cars and online vehicle purchasing. You get the idea. Disruption, though, is an interesting topic because it appeals to only one side of the narrative, which is often those who are being disrupted. I don't know a person on this planet who likes to be interrupted or disrupted, but rarely do we talk about those disrupting. And when we do, we're often uh, referencing the companies that aren't actually disrupting anything at all. You see, if I were to ask you to list out the first disruptive company that comes to your mind, what company would it be? When I ask audiences this question from the stage or in a workshop setting, I get some common answers. Uber or other ride-sharing companies, Airbnb, Amazon, Carvana, and the list kind of goes on in that fashion. Other times, I'll hear about practitioners within the automotive space who are making some really awesome things happen. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm about to say next, okay? It's in no way intended to misrepresent anyone or any company's achievements or downplay them at all. But here goes, okay? Go with me here. None of those examples represent disruption. Not a single one. In fact, there is a better word that represents those examples, and I'm going to get to that uh, near the end of my my meander my mental meanderings. Okay, but first, let's talk about why those companies don't represent disruption. You see, when most think of disruption, a certain visual comes to mind. It's usually one of two concepts: a small human being getting stepped on by a really massive foot. You know those those stock images that we we see all the time. Or it's the small fish getting eaten by the slightly larger fish who's getting eaten by the slightly larger fish and on and on and on. We think of Amazon or Uber or whoever as the big fish that's swallowing us whole who, uh, you know, we think 
that because the retail dealer world is still pretty antiquated in its processes, that there's no reasonable way to keep up with the demands of the market. We hear that the the Google and Facebook studies with their fancy statistics and you know, we, we take it as Bible without questioning the regional nature or data set by which their figures were harvested. We become fearful. We freeze. We wait to die. But here's something interesting you might not know about disruption. True disruption can only happen in one of two market conditions. According to the Harvard Business Review, and I'll link the article up in the show notes, True disruption exists in low-end market footholds or new market footholds, not existing markets. Okay, think about that for a second. I'm going to read this again. Okay, true disruption exists in low-end market footholds or new market footholds, not existing markets. So let's unpackage that a little bit. What is a low-end market foothold? Well, to be brief, It's when a product or service already exists, but it only caters to a demographic that can afford it. So, for example, Samsung and Apple can only afford to produce their mobile phones in the, say, $800 to $1,500 price point. As such, uh, okay, this leaves a massive opening in the market for those who can't afford $800 to $1,500 smartphones. In enters a company like India's Ringing Bells who offers two different handsets, one priced at about 40 bucks US and another for get ready for this another for a whopping $3.80. The market for budget smartphones in India is massive. Though per capita income is like 1600 bucks in uh, 2016, India overtook the United States in smartphone purchases. Currently, the market is dominated by a few major players. Okay, to, to my point, the market in India is currently dominated by a few major players: Samsung, uh, Micromax, and Intex. I think is the the third company. But you see, low market foothold allows room for a new product that caters to a demographic that can't afford what, ironically, the big players can't afford to offer. So big players can't afford to offer a $40 phone or a $3.80 phone. It just blows my mind. Um, and the, the demographic that ringing bells is catering to is in the millions and millions and millions of people, but they can't afford to spend $800 on a smartphone either. Okay, so that's low market foothold. New market footholds mean that the product or service never existed before and now needs to find, indoctrinate, train, and retain a customer base. So, you know, I mean, if if flying cars materialize and can mass produce affordably, perhaps what we're seeing today is the the infant status or state of uh, new market footholds, maybe. Um, You know, however, when cell phones first came out, that's a new market foothold. What do you mean a cell phone that fits in my briefcase? Little do we know the briefcase was the cell phone case. <laughs> but I digress. Um, but back to the article, okay, in the Harvard Business Review. If true uh, disruption only happens in one of those two market conditions, again, low market foothold or new market foothold, and not in existing markets, where does that leave us? Let's look at Uber, for example. 
are they disruptive? I mean, after all, they started in San Francisco, the land abundant in taxis. They appealed to a target audience that was already indoctrinated to purchase a vehicle for hire. They leveraged uh, uh, existing technology to make their model come to life. And the kicker, right, in San Francisco, at this very moment in time, in fact, the very moment you are listening to my voice, taxis in San Francisco are still readily abundant. What about Airbnb? Have you driven past your closest international airport recently? If Airbnb disrupted the market, why are there more hotels being built day by day than ever before? Again, Airbnb appealed to an existing target audience with existing technology with an existing concept, paying a fee for a bed. Right? Makes sense? Okay, well, Amazon. Surely Amazon is disruptive. Are they, though? Existing technology inside of an existing concept, inside of an existing customer base, inside of an existing market. Now, don't misunderstand, okay? This is kind of just, I'm trying to prove a point here. True disruption happens in low market foothold and new market foothold, not existing markets. So while market share may increase or decrease inside of an existing market does not merit um, labeling it as something that's disruptive. It's just something that's, you know, taking market share. Um, okay, but wait a minute. What about, you know, Carvana? Well, again, think about this. Existing technology, existing customer base, i.e. people who have an affinity for on-demand purchasing and who also drive vehicles. Existing product, in other words, cars already existed, inside of an existing market. Car sales. Where am I going with this? Well, look, if you're offended or insulted by anything I've just said or just hugely disagree, it's probably because you thought that what you had in the works or that what you were doing was disruptive in nature, and it probably actually isn't. Hashtag sorry, not sorry. However, there are some elements of disruption that we've talked about up to this point or the perceived idea of disruption that are very real. For example, our depiction of disruption. That smaller fish getting eaten by the bigger fish. It just turns out that I believe we've misrepresented who the big fish really is. You see, in the popular opinion of how we talk about disruption, um, we think the big fish is the company that's coming for you, that's going to put you out of business. Well, it's my opinion, DPB gang, that the biggest fish has and always will be your customer. Your customer is the biggest fish. Now, do, do right by them. And they'll do right by you. Do what it takes to build lasting relationships and they will come to buy. So as it were, I think the, the better word for what's going on is not disruption. It's evolution. If the demands of the market are evolving, okay, think about this. If the, if the demands of the market are evolving, we should be evolving with them. You see, Uber realized that people don't like the smell of B.O. So they evolved their concept, the, the existing business model. They evolved it to provide a more pleasant ride experiment, uh, experience. 
but they leveraged everything already at their disposal to take an antiquated business model and evolve it. They didn't create smartphones or apps or payment technology or GPS technology or vehicles or people to ride in in vehicles. They simply took a step back and found an opening for how the model could be evolved. And the same is true of Airbnb and Amazon and whoever else. So rather than stopping in your tracks wondering, how, how can we keep up with all of these big companies? Take back control of the things you have at your disposal. Take time to consider what you can do to make the buying journey more appealing or what actions you can take to build stronger, longer-lasting relationships with your customers. When you take that step back and consider all the resources you already possess, from your website to your CRM to your DMS to your live chat to your the vehicles on your lot to your multi-million dollar building to your investments to, you know, you, it just the list goes on. You might be surprised to find that evolution is on the horizon for you. You just maybe needed to shift your paradigm. Anyway, that's it for episode 150. I hope you enjoyed it. And listen, I hope that amidst the hustle and bustle of the Christmas season, even if you don't celebrate Christmas, that you'll you'll join with those of us who do as we all strive together to share a little more kindness, love, gratitude, and happiness. I wish you the very best. I hope that you achieve your definition of success. Thank you so much for being here, and we'll catch you on the next episode of The Dealer Playbook.